plant the seed of this is recognized science. So here's what you can do to protect yourself in the short term. And if you want to get involved on a community level, you can take bigger actions that will protect the community in the long term. But since, you know, if you live in the U.S., that's not being done for you yet. Here's how you can protect yourself. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the All Too Well podcast. I'm your host, Erica Huss. I'm your wellness whisperer. (laughs) That's what we're going with. Uh, You may know me from the other podcast that I've done in the past, which was HTW with Zoe and Erica that I co-hosted with my longtime business partner, Zoe Sakutis. And now it's time for me to do something new, something on my own. So here I am. It's ATW. I did not do that on purpose, but it does kind of roll off the tongue in a nice way that feels a little familiar. Um, And look, the idea here is very similar to what I've done before and what I'm really all about, which is delivering information to you that can actually have a positive impact on your life, whether you consider yourself to be a quote unquote wellness person or not. I know that the word wellness can be very triggering for people and Certainly, there is a wellness component, an underpinning to much of what we see out there in the world today that was not the case, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So I'm very happy to see that these worlds are kind of, you know, combining a little bit and people are generally being a bit more mindful about how they move and how they optimize their sleep and their diet and all of that. But by no means does everybody identify with being a wellness person. I think that there is a balance that needs to be struck. I think you've got to live your life. And if you got to indulge and you have some vices and things that you're not really interested or willing to give up and you still want to do healthy things everywhere else, then, you know, that's why I'm here. And I don't want anyone to feel preached to. I don't want anyone to feel like they're not part of the conversation. I want it to feel like I can connect with you know, experts and authors and folks that really are uh, doing a deep dive in this world of, of how to optimize health and translate some of that information to you in a way that feels like, hey, you can actually apply it to your life today, make some changes. Oftentimes it's not going to cost any money. It's not about buying, you know, super fancy products and, and practices and, and specialists or anything like that. Sometimes it can be, but the reality is there are changes that you can make in your day-to-day life that um, just because you have new information at your fingertips and empowering you with that information to make the changes that you want to change is, that's the best thing that I can do. And if you don't want to change anything, you don't have to. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to preach. I'm not here to do any of that. If you want to make no changes and you just like the silky sound of my voice and enjoy some of the guests and co-hosts that I'm going to have on from time to time, then I'm here for that too. So anyway, I appreciate the support and the listening. Uh, You can find out more about me and sign up for my newsletter uh, if you like. My newsletter is also called All Too Well, and there is a link for that in the show notes. Um, And that is kind of a written version of a lot of what you're going to hear here, but basically just weekly, once a week, three bullet points or less, five minutes or less to read, um, just kind of little tips and tricks. And yeah, that's about it. So without any further delay, I'm eager to share my first guest with you, my first episode of the new show. So thank you for listening and here we go. (laughs) 
So I'm very, very excited to welcome back a guest that I have interviewed multiple times before um, who started out as being my doctor. And uh, she has gone on to move from the world of straight up functional medicine practice into functional medicine with a focus on environmental medicine. And she had some kind of interesting facts to deliver in the first place. Um, and I won't, you know, go and rehash and spoil everything because you're about to hear it all. But basically, she gave a TED Talk with some tips that were supposed to help you uh, understand how to better protect your immune system against environmental factors. And uh, spoiler alert, the TED Talk got banned um, because apparently she upset some people that didn't want to be upset or uh, have some of their laundry aired. And she did so very inadvertently. So it was an interesting conversation because it was kind of two tracks. One being just actually talking about the tips that she wanted to share, which are super simple and basic and straightforward and inexpensive and things you can do today to improve your overall immune health, um, or at least, you know, defending against uh, outside toxins. And then we kind of got into, you know, why this this could have happened in the first place and like what got into, you know, Ted's pipeline that became threatening about what she was trying to do. And so now here she is just on a guerrilla mission to continue spreading the word um, outside of whatever Ted did not want her sharing. She did not in any way try to take down the FDA or any kind of uh, U.S. organization around uh, regulating food and beverage safety, but somehow inadvertently ended up there. Um, so anyway, it's a fascinating talk and topic in general, and I do love me some Zandra Palma. Here you go. Thanks for listening. Hello. Welcome, Dr. Zandra Palma, MD. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you here. And I will disclose fully that um, once upon a time, you were my doctor. That's um, right. And so we've known each other for a number of years. And yeah. we've actually, I think, spent more time doing podcast recordings than actually any medical work together, <laughs> um, <laughs> even though I really do miss having you as my doctor. And that was definitely uh, a big reason why I was able to stay with that organization, which shall remain nameless, um, for as long as I did, <laughs> was because of the work that I did with you. Um, well, thank you for saying that. Yeah. So, I mean, on the other podcast on Highway to Well, we talked about, uh, I know you you came a couple of times, we talked about sort of supplement fatigue and, you know, where do we go? How do we understand um, how to like parse through all of the bullshit around supplements and what's real and what's not? And then we did a whole episode on alcohol and like, what can I drink if I'm not going to quit drinking altogether? Like we kind of, you gave us the spectrum of the, where we can go to make better choices with our, with our alcohol consumption. And mm -hmm. now from, you know, what you've been doing recently, I know you're focusing a bit more on um, environmental medicine. So can yeah. you share a little bit about how that kind of happened for you and, and what you're doing these days? And then we'll dive into the, the fun stuff because there's a little yeah. bit of drama these days. Yeah, a little bit of drama these days. So I mean, <laughs> my training has like been sort of winding, right? I took this like super hard turn to functional medicine after training in internal medicine and anesthesiology. And then I was practicing functional medicine while I saw you when I was seeing you as a patient um, and practicing that for, you know, and I still use the, the elements of the thought paradigm of functional medicine in my practice and environmental medicine is sort of like a natural step from functional medicine because it relies on that root cause analysis, sort of like investigative framework. Um, but I ended up practicing environmental medicine over the years a little bit more just because I was 
sort of successful with these really tough, complex, chronic illness cases early on. And these are the sort of cases where people who are sick with this kind of stuff have been, you know, sent away by so many other doctors and they've failed so many other interventions that they are all talking to each other about it. So, you know, my name was around Reddit forums, it's like, and everybody wants to know, like, if somebody helped you, please tell me who helped you because I want to go see them. So I started just naturally like collecting similar sorts of cases because they were all talking to each other about me. And so that was sort of, I sort of, sort of like a natural, natural couple of steps down the path to functional medicine in the first place. And then I decided to lean into it even more. I did a fellowship for a year and a half uh, with EMEI with doctors, Lynn Patrick and Emory Fine, who, you know, really rounded out the education and just supported me. And luckily I was still actually in that fellowship when I gave this TED talk because um, when I found out that it was banned, Spoiler they were just, alert. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were just so supportive. And That's amazing. I, I don't think I would have had the, uh, you know, the chutzpah to sort of like brush myself off and start working on this stuff again, because I was really just bummed out and disappointed when I got that news. Um, but they sent, you know, the band version and the private link to a lot of the top BPA scientists in the US. One of them uh, sort of several of them got in my corner. And so, you know, suddenly I heard at our grand rounds, which is like an eight hour meeting, we have one Saturday a month in that fellowship. Um, you know, they told me the good news that like, basically all these nerds I've never met are in my corner and backing <laughs> me. <laughs> and now I've met them and we're all colleagues and friends and, and working on things together. I co-authored a paper with some of them about this very controversy. Mm -hmm. uh, so luckily I was still in that fellowship and, and they, the, that whole scientific community has been a huge support. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So are you, um, and I know that you've kind of sort of altered your practice and the things that you are working on in terms of like your, your day-to-day -day work. I mean, are you, in the, are you out in the world as an environmental clinician and working with patients in that capacity? Or is this more of like a research and education perspective for you? Yeah, no, I am. So I, even before I finished the fellowship, I was already seeing more and more sort of like environmental medicine sort of cases. Okay. So of course, like when you practice, you use everything you learned, just like an actor, you know, who studied Method and Stanislavski and Stella Adler, like they bring all of it in when they're acting. They're not like, oh, today I'm doing a Stella Adler performance. Right. Um, that was like way too into the weeds on acting names. No, listen, <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm a theater major, so. <laughs> <laughs> but, but just like you know, just like you use all of all of your training in mm -hmm. your eventual like when you play the piano with both hands. I'm using kind of all of it, but. Not as much anesthesiology, but right. <laughs> I'm kind of using all of everything that I trained in. And the two things I draw on most are the sort of thought framework and how we investigate from functional medicine, which is just like a real focus on root cause. And then from environmental medicine, it's really how I think about investigating uh, my complex chronic illness patients. And that's mm -hmm. most of who I see these days um, because people find me through other people and because you know, I've, I've become specialized enough that nobody really wants to see me for sort of, sort of like run of the mill functional medicine stuff, because it makes sense to see somebody maybe more affordable for that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into it. So basically what happened was you gave this fascinating Ted talk back in the spring, I guess. Yeah. Um, in March, late March. 
And was that your first one? That was my first one. Okay. Yeah. Potentially your last. We'll see. <laughs> Probably my last. I don't think they want to hear from me again. <laughs> Going out a little limb here. And so first, let's kind of, I mean, you tell me, like, because the subject matter itself is obviously fascinating and, you know, again, an idea worth sharing before it's also worth censoring. But do you want to talk about kind of what happened in the aftermath and then go back? Or do you want to talk about like the actual message that you were trying to deliver in the first place or however you want to, however you want to tell the message? I'll talk about the message first. So it was supposed to be sort of like, like a a combo platter intro to like function to, to, sorry, environmental medicine reasoning. So here are like, and specifically entering through the lens of the immune system. I was going to make it about like, you know, pandemic and, and then I was like, you know what? Keep COVID out of it. Yeah. Keep it classy. Let's just say. <laughs> well, just people, say it's like, the there's also system. a little bit of fatigue in terms of hearing yeah. about, yeah. you know, COVID related this. It's sort of like whether or not it's valid, I think it's become so kind of, it's just diluting itself, which is unfortunate. So yeah. I think that was a good decision. Yeah. So I just thought through the lens of the immune system, I'm going to talk about like the top five hacks from environmental medicine that are simple, that you can do, that don't cost you anything. Um, that you can do to improve your immune system. And then I can tell you a little bit about the data that, you know, back up those facts. And the first one was take the lid off your coffee cup. Mm-hmm. And by that, it was like kind of a, a broader metaphor for avoidance of plastics and the chemicals that are in plastics. And specifically the the, the chemical that I talked about the most was BPA, bisphenol mm-hmm. A. Um, and we've all heard of BPA, you know, because it was kind of more hot in the discussion more than a decade ago, because there was a lot of BPA in baby bottles and baby products, and it's an endocrine disruptor. So we know that part of the discussion. Most people who were around then and remember what was going on in news then remember that like BPA messes up hormones. It mm-hmm. you know can feminize male children. It has all these effects on on sex hormones. We know that, and this is but accepted industry wide. This is, I'm saying this isn't like the public conversation, right? Yeah. Like most people who even aren't doctors or don't have anything to do with health have heard of that, know that yeah. BPA-free is important for some reason. They kind of remember this. What people don't know about is the more recent research on BPA, and there's been a lot. And there's been a lot in the U.S. because the U.S. basically created this 10-year set of many, many, many studies. And because there was a debate in BPA research, and in endocrine disruptor research in general uh, about how, you know, the FDA was doing it versus how the people who practice the highest academic standard of science were doing it. They were like, well, let's put them all together. Let's put the, AT- the let's put the, the FDA, mix them in with researchers from the National Institutes for Health Sciences, the National Toxicology Program, and then let's take some non-government related people, all the people who practice the highest level of academic science and who have been studying this for a long time, put them all in together, make them have them work on some of the same animals, have them, you know, work with some of the same methods. They'll all discuss at the end and we can finally settle the dispute in how they're doing the research. So we'll put a pin in that and I'll tell you how that that's that big, big collection of studies uh, over 10,000 was called uh, Clarity BPA. And it went on for a, a little bit over a decade. Many, many, many millions of dollars went into that. So Basically, the U.S. hasn't really come out with, they kind of have, but hasn't really come out with an opinion that includes everybody's science from Clarity yet, but who has is Europe. So the European version of the FDA, who really recommends, they don't create laws, they're like a recommending body, they're called EFSA, um, the European Food Safety Authority. They looked at 
uh, a lot of research. A lot of it was were studies that were involved in Clery. And they looked at research actually only for six years, from 2000, uh, for like five something years, 2013 to 2018 were all the studies that they looked at. And after a change in like the higher levels of their organization, meaning the head of EFSA changed over and many people on the board of EFSA changed over. And those people, you know, specifically may have had conflicts of interest. So there was kind of like a a sea change in the vibe at, at, at EFSA in the decision makers. Um, so this wasn't new research, right? It was like the, the last of it was from 2018, but they finally came out with this new recommendation around BPA. And, you know, while the U S is kind of focusing on this argument about how we look at the science around endocrine disrupting chemicals, meaning chemicals that interact with human hormone system, EFSA did something that I really love, which is they took the focus off of that dispute completely by saying, we're going to look at a completely different metric, how BPA affects the immune system. And that one's more cut and dry. There's no debate in how people do research around that. And based specifically on the metric of toxicity to the immune system, they changed their recommendation. And they changed their recommendation at first by 100,000 times. So the amount of plastic that they said is okay to go in a human mouth in a day, they were like, we're going to change that to 100,000 times lower than we said before in 2015. And this was in 2022. Short, about a month after I gave my talk, they actually adjusted that number by fivefold. So now their 2023 official recommendation is 20,000 times lower than the 2015 recommendation. So this is called a tolerable daily intake, how much they say a human should ingest in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still so substantial that to comply with that recommendation, the European Commission would have to eliminate all plastics from food and beverage production and, and storage, completely eliminate. Right. So that's messing with a lot of people's money. It upset a lot of people. It specifically upset the FDA. The, you know, the only European country that's really pushing back on it is Germany. So the German BFR, kind of like a German FDA, is pushing back a lot. They're not happy with it. And then big chemical companies to produce BPA. Because mm-hmm. BPA is actually one of the highest production volume chemicals in the U.S. So there's just a lot of money going into making sure it's, it's still in use, right? It's still around. So just so I can clarify the EFSA, the European Commission changed their regulations, which... So EFSA, EFSA changed. So EFSA makes the recommendation. The European Commission has to, like, adjust things to... Right. Okay. So European Commission changed it based on EFSA's recommendations. So um, EFSA, EFSA changed things. European Commission looks like they're going to follow suit and actually put this recommendation into... Oh, okay. Yeah, which is great. But so the ripple effect, just so I can understand kind of like the parallel response, the ripple effect in Europe would effectively be the same as in the States in terms of... Compl- the States would have to do the same thing. I right. mean, and the thing is, the FDA... I guess I'm asking if, like, in Europe, the stakes were just as high in terms of, like, if we say this, a lot of things are going to have to change, and Europe was like, we're okay with saying it anyway? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And for a while, they weren't, right? Until a lot of the members of the people who make decisions at EFSA changed over. Mm-hmm. So it took, like, a big change in that organization, a lot of people who probably had conflicts of interest getting out of the board for them to finally come out with this research and this recommendation. Um, On the other side, FDA kind of already had egg on their face because of how this clarity 
group of studies went, because the whole time Clarity was going on over the course of 10 years, these independent researchers that were involved were saying like, you know, the FDA people are cooking the books, like their studies aren't good, their methods aren't good, they're using animals that, you know, are are specifically like not sensitive to BPA, they're, they're using methodology that was outdated 100 years ago, they're, you know, they're doing things to make sure that these studies come out looking like BPA is okay. And then in 2018, you know, F- the FDA really jumped the gun. And like the day after the last of those clarity studies was finished, just one day after they came, they told everybody that BPA is still okay. Mm-hmm. Even at this time, EFSA and the and Europe in general had a, a way stricter tolerance for BPA, right? So they, they already allowed way less in and around food. And now they've changed it by 20,000 times. So, Mm -hmm. and this is a pattern we see a lot when you compare, you know, public health in, in Europe to, to American sort of like public health decisions is that Europe just tends to be a little bit better at taking care of its people, or maybe cares more about, cares more about the people and a little bit less about, you know, big, big financial players. Right. Right manufacturers, et cetera. So, okay. So you shared a lot of that, a kind of a distilled version of that in your talk. So the funny thing is I didn't even mention the U.S. Right. You specifically didn't mention the U.S. I specifically didn't mention the U.S. I said the word FDA once and compared EFSA to the FDA. I was like, EFSA, which is a little bit like European FDA, but I didn't talk about like what the U.S. was doing at all. I didn't talk about the clarity debacle. I didn't talk, I, I I certainly didn't mention any potential financial motivations or conflicts of interest on the part of the FDA or the EPA or the National Toxicology Program or, you know, any of, of the, the big players in the U.S. And I didn't and, do that for a reason. Yeah. Then it definitely would have been banned. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, the, the talk was really like mellow. No, it totally was. And it's very digestible. It's like 15 minutes long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was just telling them to take the lid off their coffee cup. Yeah. It's very user-friendly and it's very consumer-focused, which is, you know, that's the type of stuff I gravitate towards for myself and then also to kind of disseminate among people who are less informed and less actually interested in really consuming themselves with this information. That's the only way that you get through. So you deliberately didn't mention because you wanted to make sure that you got your point across without clouding it up with these kind of like sort of political business minds that are coming into play with other sort of interests besides actually just delivering the message. Yeah. And I wanted to plant the seed of this is recognized science. So here's what you can do to protect yourself in the short term. And if you want to get involved on a community level, you can take bigger actions that will protect the community in the long term. But since, you know, if you live in the U S that's not being done for you yet, here's how you can protect yourself which is what Americans are going to have to do for a while. Yes. So then along comes Ted three months later and says, we're banning this talk. Yeah. They, they banned the talk in those three months. I mean, I think it was just taking them some time to like, you know, get the editing done, fact check the talks, whatever. And the fact checking was completely fine. They took no issue. I actually provided them with the references because I knew it was going to take them a long time to fact check this talk because I mean, it was, you know, 20 something references. Um, So I provided them with the references. I gave them hyperlinks to all of them. And I told them where in the speech they each occurred. So, and they took no issue with any of the scientific references. So it wasn't that. They said that 
it was the fact that I was involved in functional medicine, which, I mean, you can go on TED and find a lot of my colleagues from functional medicine talking about functional medicine and like, you know, everybody's fine. Why did that, so in their explanation, what is the, what is the red flag there? They didn't provide much of one. They just said that some experts aren't convinced of functional medicine's legitimacy. So, yeah. Yeah. And I was really speaking about environmental medicine. So, I mean, the the whole thing, it just, it's clearly, they just kind of like gave an answer to give an answer. And, you know, I might not have even done anything about it, except they left the MD off after my name. They didn't put my title on the title of the video. And I asked the woman who ran the the event where I spoke, the, the Teddy Bisa event, if she would like at least come back to them on that. You know, they published it on a hidden link. They put a, a statement after my name that all of my lawyer friends called defamatory. It was like, yeah, it was really not a nice thing that they wrote about me. And all of that, I might've just like moved on to greener pastures in the next project and whatever, but they left the MD off after my name. And then when I asked if they could just put it back on, the, the response was so rude and so disrespectful and it just made my blood boil. So went into Hulk mode and here we are. Yeah, here <laughs> we are. But that's insane. I mean, they're supposed to be priding themselves on integrity and accuracy and only delivering the facts. So A, they're taking issue with information that you published as scientific data and not something that is up for debate. And B, the fact is that you are an MD. So... To just come like boldface discredit that it just like that does nothing for them. That doesn't that's that's not good for the TED brand. Yeah, I mean, I don't think any of it's really good for the brand. I haven't heard from them about any of this. I think they're just hoping it'll blow over. Right, but so now you're on a mission to say, okay, well, however many people watch my talk, I'm going to amplify that by however many more, just in sharing the fact that you guys banned it. Yeah. So now like the little clip of the talk on Instagram's had 900,000 views. (laughs) That's amazing. That is fantastic. So the the ball's rolling and environmental health news, which is a great publication kind of published my, uh, my version of, uh, my shorter version of the whole story about what we're talking about right now, kind of Mm -hmm. why it was probably actually banned probably not that it's about functional medicine, that there's, that I'm involved with functional medicine, you know? Well, right. But I guess that's, I mean, and you don't have to get into that here because I know some of it is probably sticky, but I mean, I'm curious to know, look, I don't, I don't know that much. I, I have not done a deep dive into TED recently. I think, you know, I used to watch a lot more of the content than I have in the last couple of years, but my sort of broad understanding is that it's supposed to be they present themselves as being quite balanced and sort of like yeah. full spectrum. Like we are delivering information that you can use ideas worth spreading. Like, And that was the thing that kind of broke my heart is that I still kind of had that view of that organization. Like I really did think they were the good guys. And I thought yeah. maybe if I did a Ted talk, it would like introduce the world to environmental medicine in a way that, you know, when you, when you teach people about environmental medicine, it sort of reengages them in environmentalist discussions from you know, a very selfish human standpoint, which is like, this is how it directly affects your body. Not like some nebulous, like, oh, the temperature might change by half a degree in like 11 years. Right. And I'll be dead. It doesn't matter. you fat right now. Yes. You know, like people listen when you say things like that. It's unfortunate that you have to take it there, but you kind of do. And anyway, I thought, I thought that 
I, I just thought that like it, they would be a great platform, that they would be behind me, that they were not part of the bad guys, that they were like not possibly in bed with the bad guys, you know? And then it was funny. To, and then it was also funny to like see, to see like what they do. And, and then I started seeing all these other like band TED Talks from the past. I saw, uh, you know, I, I've, I realized that like, this isn't the first time that this has happened. Yeah. Um, you guys could start your own really club. Cool, yeah. Some really, some, I'm, I'm actually kind of like in the club with the cool people now. I'm yeah. like pretty honored to be <laughs> considered. Yeah, I know. I think you should get like a jacket or something. Yeah. Five-timer club. Um, well, and the other thing I think is interesting, and maybe this is a segue unless you want to stay on this, but I, that was one, like you started off the talk by talking about how you have five tips and that's what people like, right? They like little digestible, you know, sort of uh, organized bullets. That's how our brains work. So this was number one of five and the four other ones had nothing to do with this. And you would, I would think at the very, like at the minimum what they could do is maybe say like, we have an issue with point one here, but obviously for the sake of people understanding that this is a bigger picture, let's, let's focus on the four other things, the four other tips that aren't going to get anyone in hot water, but that's not what happened. They just. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that would, they would have to cut out the beginning of the talk and not the end. So I get, I get why that didn't happen, but no, it was, it, it's funny decision-making. I'm sure like the, there's probably some lack of, communication between like the decision makers and the people who are actually doing it. I mean, I think there's probably some people blindly following orders, you know, it's just, it's yeah. 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 I think the people at Ted who really made that decision probably had some pressure from something above them and had to make up a reason. And that was the best they could do. I actually, the last line in the piece from environmental health news is uh, like, and to my censors, if you're going to choose to be a pawn, at least have the presence of mind to know which side of the chessboard you're standing on, <laughs> which was sort of like, I like, you know, this is, this is bigger than any one person, but like, I sort of had the person who, who uh, was the leader of the, the TEDx event where I spoke in mind when I wrote that, because she's still kind of backing them. She was like, take, take the Instagram post down. I was like, what, why no. you have children? Like, why? Why are you trying to like side with Dr. Evil here? What's going yeah. on? Yeah. Uh, well, and so you haven't had to take anything off of Instagram, right? Because that's your content or no? Yeah, no. Okay, good. I mean, yeah. I think at that point, that would be, I mean, they would really look bad if they yes. tried to, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was like double censor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, so here we are able to um, repurpose the message and re- share it wherever we can. Um, okay. Well, so we've learned to take the lid off our coffee cups. You know what else? Like just as a default, just why not? Because, because it, yeah. it doesn't hurt you to take it off. It doesn't, yeah. I mean, you're actually better off not getting one in the first place. I mean, I've started asking even before all of this, of I don't course. want you to cover of it course. because I have, to, I have to take it off and yeah. I've got to put the stuff of in course. myself. And the idea was hopefully like this will be the start of, you know, independent coffee places realizing that they don't need those, they don't need to order those plastic lids in the first place and the yeah. moving, you know, and in, in Paris, Starbucks has paper lids. They do. Uh, you know, they exist. It's yeah. not, it's not an unsolvable problem. Right. Exactly. There's an alternate solution. Places where plastics touch our food, which yeah. are not unsolvable problems. Like I understand getting plastics out of some places. Like when I think about, you know, practicing anesthesiology without plastic, that's crazy. Like getting plastics out of the OR is actually hard and maybe dangerous. 
getting plastics out of food, a lot of it's not that Very solvable. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Well, do you want to share the other tips? Yeah. The other <laughs> tips were, um, so it was all, it was all through the lens of like, these are things a weird grandma would tell you to do, not things you'd expect to hear from a doctor. So they're, they're kind of like articulated a little bit weird grandma style. So the next one was fix that leak in your house. And by that, I meant that mold is a huge driver of immune dysregulation, toxic indoor mold. Um, so, you know, telling people to like, go look around their homes for dampness and, and leaks and water damage. Cause if there's water damage, there's usually almost always mold. The next one after that was take your shoes off when you get home. So that was about tracking like herbicides and pesticides that are sprayed outside into your house. There was a study from the American chemical society that showed that people are actually getting exposed to these chemicals just like in their living room because they're tracking things in from outside Eating organic was one, but instead of just eating organic, I said, vote with your groceries. And by vote with your groceries, I meant that, you know, even beyond just protecting yourself, you can sort of start to create shifts, major shifts in how chemicals are used and how they're used in agriculture with your consumer behavior. You know, you can you can vote with your dollars. You don't have to be a policymaker to help this shift. And in fact, in the U.S., I fear that we're going to have to rely on tactics like that because I don't think that these policies are going anywhere. I don't, I don't, I don't see a sea change happening. You know, I think it's going to happen from more of a ground up, sort of like grassroots vote with your dollars. Yeah. 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 Well, the more people, I mean, it is expensive. I know that's the the biggest hurdle for most people is they understand the value and the benefit of buying organic and the risks of buying, you know, conventional. But it's expensive. And, you know, to that, I would say, like, we'll start where you can. Like, we know we know the dirty dozen list and not everybody does. But there mm -hmm. are fruits and vegetables that you should definitely always, always buy organic. And then it kind of, you know, it softens as you go down the list to the ones that you can sort of get away with buying conventional if you have to. But, um, yeah, to your point, I, I think it's so much harder to – to, it's going to be the bottom up type of shift that they will that will actually make the difference rather than top down because we know that top down is just not interested or paying attention or or giving attention and resources to do an effort like that. Um, yeah. So, and then the last one was a gem that's sort of more from the area of neuro, psycho neuropharmacology more than environmental medicine, but it's, it's related, which was say, thank you. And it, I was kind of just like, I touched on, it really touched on, it was kind of like just the last point I made, but just touched on some really interesting research about how gratitude and gratitude related practices actually do cause a shift in the immune system, specifically away from autoimmunity, which is cool. Right. And I feel like that's something, again, it's like an easy throwaway that people hear and think it's just woo-woo, you know, like, oh my God, it's a journal every day. But there is, to your point, there is science around shifting those, those um, the, the whatever the scientific word is, like when you shift that energy in your system, it, it does manifest in ways. Yeah, it actually, actually causes a shift in the innate immune system. Yeah. And there's, you can point to papers on that, right? Like you can, yeah. we can include a link to actual research on that in sure. the show notes sure. here that people can read. For I mean, sure. everything you're talking about here, these are all very simple things, right? Like other people, you know, you fix a leak. Well, people want to fix a leak because they want to protect their house, whether or not they know that there are implications for their health. So this should just amplify 
the need to make sure that all those things are buttoned up. If for no other reason, then you can't sell your house again if there's mold in it. I learned that very, uh, <laughs> I learned that very organically when I bought my house and discovered a whole lot of mold that cost me a lot of money to remediate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you fix leaks because for all the reasons and also for your health. Take your shoes off. A lot of people culturally, I know there's a lot of different cultures. You know, the Americans not great at America's not great at it. But like taking your shoes off. When you come in a house in Asian cultures, there's a sign of respect. And in other cultures, it's more about just like the general cleanliness of the space, still not necessarily talking about the health implications. So now, again, it's just one more reason. None of this feels like it's, you know, cancel worthy at all. Um, and I know yeah. this obviously wasn't the part that was, you know, that they were taking issue with, but it just sort of demonstrates that there's so much more to what you're trying to do and to share than what they kind of fixated on. Um, so. I'm happy to uh, to help dis disseminate the rest of these important messages. Thank you. And, you know, I talked about it through the lens of the immune system, but the immune system isn't the only affected system by any of these things. It is also the endocrine system. It is also like our blood sugar, which this is part of the endocrine system, but, you know, our blood sugar management and sensing system, which ties into metabolic health. Um, you know, it, it you is- Tell people they're going to get fat unless they take their shoes off. They will take their shoes off. I said, if you tell people that they'll get fat unless they take their shoes off, then they will take their that's shoes the, off. That's the biggest motivator. Somehow you can tell people that their kid's brain won't develop and still getting fat is like a bigger motivator. <laughs> it's very sad, but it's... Or it's you know what? Not even getting fat and not being able to lose the weight. Yeah. That's the one. Because everybody's every American has experienced weight loss resistance. You know, we've all... We've all experienced having perfect habits and not being able to take off some weight. And right. that is almost always environmentally driven. That's always, almost always something that we're toxic with that needs to That's come amazing. out. Yeah. Right. And we are, we want to take the weight off more for, you know, cosmetic and aesthetic reasons than for internal health reasons. But I think we're yeah. getting a little bit wiser about but, how it's. Yeah. But you know what? Whatever gets you there, like whatever exactly. into those health practices, I am cool with it. Just like motivate yourself however, however you get there, like I, I will help you execute. One question on BPA that you mentioned that I wanted to get a little bit more information on, because I think it's another one of those misconceptions. Um, uh, you started talking about how the movement around the shift really started with the baby bottle conversation. But mm -hmm. I feel like we saw even just, you know, a year or so after that kind of groundswell of information and interest that all of the plastic bottle companies started shifting to what they were calling BPA-free plastic. And there are certainly better versions of plastic bottles than there used to be. Um, so but a lot unfortunately, BPA-free is a bit of a misnomer. Yeah. Because there are other equally toxic or almost equal as, as toxic compounds um, that are also BPs, bisphenols, but they're not the A variant. Okay. There's a, there's almost as many bisphenols as there are letters of the alphabet. Mm. So, you know, there's all the way down to BPZ. Um, and <laughs> but BPA is the biggest offender? BPA is the most studied. That's mm -hmm. what we know. So okay. uh, according to studies, that's the biggest offender. Um, but it's, who knows? Okay. Well, I, 
I was where I was going was that we all, you know, many of us made the decision, okay, I'm not going to buy plastic, you know, water bottles anymore at the very least. Um, and switching from, you know, even like juice and whatever other types of beverages out there, people will often like soda is a good example, right? So there's just as many plastic bottles of Coca-Cola as there are, uh, cans. So people are switching to cans because they feel it's more environmentally friendly and because yeah. So I want you to talk about about the cans. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I went into this a little bit in the talk. I actually like had a can that, so if you sand a can and then like a, a soda can and then put it in drain cleaner for like 90 minutes, you'll see that the metal will wear away and you'll see the plastic on the inside. They're all lined with plastic on the inside. And all I looked up to see if this plastic still has BPA in it. And all the big beverage companies on their site, it's like they they very transparently admit that they do use BPA. So it, like straight up BPA, not one of the other bisphenols. The 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 really bad one, BPA, is still in these linings of these class of these aluminum cans. So we actually know that some of the biggest exposures are from tinned foods. You know, anything that comes in a tin, tuna, anything that comes in a can or tin has BPA in those liners. So is there a can that doesn't have BPA? There are cans that are BPA free. Now I haven't done a deep dive to see if they're bisphenol free, but it's not, I don't think it would be impossible to make one that's bisphenol free. But we should assume that the canned beverages that we see on the shelf, I mean, obviously big, you know, big soda, we assume that big beverage, but even like smaller manufacturers that are doing, I mean, even for example, like what we did with Earth and Star, we were doing like little cans of, you know, oat milk lattes and stuff like that. Can, yeah. Do we have to assume that all of these cans have some level of BPA? Yeah, you have to assume that they have BPA or some bisphenol. And anytime the, the food that the bisphenol is touching is wet or hot or acidic or salty, we know that BPA migrates into whatever that food or beverage is more. You know, so wet, like any, any yeah, That's liquid. All liquid in a can. Exactly, exactly. So it, it's it's worse than you know, having dry, I don't know, crackers and a Tupperware or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to migrate a lot more. Ooh, this is interesting. Um, and so you're saying tinned food as well. And obviously we're all kind of, you know, we've gravitated towards certain types of canned foods because shelf life is obviously helpful. And you feel like, you know, you the, the things that are are packed at their prime maybe retain some level more of nutrient density than something that has like a ton of preservatives. But yeah, but. there are. I mean, there are brands who use BPA free. Again, I haven't done a deep dive on whether all of those brands are using bisphenol free right, okay. liners in their cans. But you can find a good list on Environmental Working Group. Okay, um, they have a list of people who are using cans without bisphenols. Okay, that's a helpful resource. And then the other thing I. Did- was the contact. I mean, we get, we really do get most of our exposure, exposure from food and drink as far as bisphenols go, but there, there is some exposure from skin contact. Um, and the biggest offenders are receipts, cashier receipts. Did yeah. you see my newsletter this week? I'm, I put it in there. <laughs> yeah. And then if you use hand sanitizer before you touch the cashier receipt, it's actually like such a big exposure that we specifically tell pregnant women to like completely avoid that. Um, airline printed airline tickets and Mm -hmm. then the the airline bag tags. Well, you can feel it's all feels the same. It's like that slick plastic that feels like there's some shit wrong Uh, with it. Yeah. And these are all three, all three of these are things that are not required in hard copy. We don't need to use paper tickets anymore. We don't like boarding passes. We don't need paper receipts in the stores. 
It's true. And also, like, why does that paper need, there's other paper. Why does that paper? <laughs> right. And poor cashiers. I mean, there's studies of how sick cashiers get from handling these things all day. Uh, yeah. Well, you see a lot of them wearing gloves. And I always wondered, you know, I did wonder until I learned all of this, is it just because their hands dry out so much from touching paper so much? But I'm hoping that it's more because some of them are actually wise to, you know, what they're what they're potentially absorbing into their yeah. hands. I think about exposures for different industries a lot. Um, you know, we know that flight staff, I'm always thinking about flight staff, probably because I'm always on flights. <laughs> so yeah. They're my only friends. Uh, no. <laughs> but I'm always thinking about flight staff because there's so many exposures from the tickets to the bag tags to the, then all of that food is heated in, or a lot of that food is heated in plastic. Yeah, all of the yeah. drinks, a lot of the drinks are carried in plastic. Um, and we know their rates for specific sorts of cancers are, are a lot higher. And then I also think a lot about the music industry a lot because most of my friends, for whatever reason, are music people. So I have a lot of friends who are touring musicians that are just on flights all the time. So they mm -hmm. have major exposures from. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, think about it's like a secondary, you know, exposure, right? Like you, you can avoid all of these things. You can go to the store and never get a receipt or never, you know, touch tickets and stuff, but you are on a plane and everything around you is plastic. Yeah. Yeah. So. I don't like the, generally, I don't like the idea of sort of sharing information by way of like fear mongering. Cause I feel like that becomes a very yeah. you know, controversial approach in itself. And that's not how I want to move through the world. I'm not somebody that lives, you know, a paranoid life, like that Julianne Moore movie where she lives in a bubble, but I do feel like this is all super important information. That's like, once you know it, it's very hard to unknow it. And at least you can make your own decisions. Yeah. Well, and it, it's a stoic philosophy thing, right? If there were nothing we could do about it, I wouldn't be spreading fear right. into the world because that is just not my vibe. That's not how I work. Um, but because what we can do about it is so accessible for the individual, you don't have to rely on governments to make these big changes. You can like, you can take your own water bottle on a flight and ask them to fill, you know, you're just still not avoiding all of it, but you know, there you're are minimizing it. What's that? You're minimizing, if not avoiding. Yeah, you can minimize it. You can take the lid off your coffee cup. You can ask for no lid. If you have a coffee shop, you know, my friend's who's starting a matcha shop. He was like, can you find out the best like alternative to a plastic lid for me? Still working on that. If anybody knows, please email me. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's got to be some company that's killing it. Or that's about yeah. to really kill or, it. Exactly. They're about to, for sure. Yeah. Well, okay. So is there anything else that people should know right now on this topic that you feel like has not, you know, has been sort of clouded by the controversy over this? I would say that just to like zoom out in a wider perspective, for people living in the United States, it's important to understand that even though we have these agencies that make us feel protected because some of them have protection in the name, right? Like the EPA, where like somebody's making sure everything's okay, right? Unfortunately, not really in the US. You know, there are conflicts of interest, there are financial motivations that we're not all privy to. And those might trickle all the way down to organizations like TED and to media organizations. So learn how to protect yourself because you have to make your own dinner tonight because mommy and daddy are passed out drunk. It's just like what we're dealing with in the U.S., you know what I mean? 
So like, what are, will you share, and we can do it out after we, we wrap this, but like, are there specific links and resources and, and, you know, kind of online websites where the information is, you know, more trustworthy and it is less about self-interest and just so people understand how to equip themselves with this knowledge. Definitely. Environmental Working Group is a great, a great resource. You know what? There is another company that I'm not going to be able to find it right now. And I, I forgot the name of them, but they're really good with food contamination and, and uh, just telling you different exposures from different foods. Uh, but Environmental Working Group is a great place to start. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I hope that we've done a little bit, you know, we're, we're not, we're not just the same way that you can't um, completely avoid it. You can minimize it. So hopefully we're, you know, even if we're reaching a, a small but mighty audience, it's making incremental differences and chipping away at some of this. So yeah. Thank you for sharing everything that you know and for, for being such a warrior on this, on this Thank front. You. <laughs> I'm so happy to try to, you know, spread the message for you and keep doing what you're doing. You're doing Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to hang out with you. Yeah, you too. Bye.